After the hour, and one of my favorite Christmas songs. I, I, uh, I'm not. You know, I love the Christmas carols. Don't get me wrong, but let me let me start over. One of my favorite secular Christmas songs. Elvis is a great story about how uh, he recorded that. It was 1957. Millie Kirkham. That's the girl in the background going. Ooh. She was very pregnant at the time. But they had to get this album done for the Christmas season, of course, the uh, 1957 Christmas season. And there's a story about Elvis was so solicitous of Millie Kirkham, worried about her being pregnant, you know, and that she was not going to overstress herself and so on. He ran and got her a chair and fussed over her. She forever remembered that as as kind of a a, a good Elvis memory. And anyway, it was... uh, that's an album that came out, the best-selling at the time, Christmas album of all time. I'm sure it's been eclipsed by now. But um, trivia, Chris, the, and I, this may not be true anymore, but it was for decades, the best-selling Christmas song of all time. Do you know what that is? Bing Crosby, White Christmas. That was, yeah. yeah. And yeah, you could look it up. It may still be, but... That just set all kinds of records. Anyway, Elvis's Christmas album at the time was the best-selling Christmas album of all time. Now we've had our trivia. I can say goodnight. See you later. Anyway, no, I'm, 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 uh, I'm sure. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I don't know if it's something you want to know or not, but I do like Elvis trivia for some reason or, or other. And um, so, thought you might get a kick out of that. He would be, um, he would be this coming year. Let's see, 88 years old, Elvis, if he had lived. 1935, isn't that, that's something to think about, isn't it? Does that sound right? Yeah, 88 years old. Anyway, good to have you with us on the Around the House program. We'll be here a couple hours talking about that special place that you and I call home. I have to apologize in advance for my voice. I don't know if you've had the crud yet this year, but I've had this ongoing sort of semi-laryngitis, dry cough now for almost since Thanksgiving, so... Hopefully it'll go away one of these one of these days, but we'll hang in there, try to get through the uh, the program today. I want to talk about Christmas a little bit. I've got my favorite Christmas memory, which I put into a newspaper column back in 1996, as I recall. I'll read that to you later on in the program. And if you have a favorite Christmas memory, uh, I think everybody has one favorite Christmas story that. A family-based story they would like to share. Maybe if you have one, I'd like to. I'd like to hear it. So if you want to give us a call, the phone number is seven one nine four seven three twelve forty, and we'd love to hear from you. We also have live email at aroundthehouse.com, which is I'll see right here in the studio. So uh, we would love to get you involved with the uh, with the program. I was doing last week gifts for the handyman, handy person in your life. We went through. A, a whole bunch of them. Uh, air compressor was one of my suggestions. Uh, a power washer. Uh, the uh, LED Lux Pro flashlights, which are my favorite. They're not very expensive, 
but they are very reliable and very bright and so on. Uh, what else do we do here? Compressor, yeah, power washer. Uh, uh, the cordless tools now, the cordless tool technology has just gotten wonderful. And I have a cordless shop vac at home that you might want to look for. I, I have the DeWalt version, but there are many manufacturers that handle those. Uh, I have a 20-volt uh, at home that it just does a wonderful job cleaning out the car. No cords to run, and you, you get the idea. And so that would be a good gift for a handyman cordless uh, shop vac. But so many of the of the cordless tools now are just very, very well priced, including cord. I never thought I'd see cordless skill saws, crosscut saws, and uh, of course cordless drills and screwdrivers have been with us for a long, long time. Generally speaking. The higher the voltage, the more torque you get. So, you know, 20 volts is kind of, kind of the going, uh, the going deal this, this time, um, uh, in this, this year and for the last few years. Started out at 12 volts, I remember, and those tools were fine. The old NiCad batteries. Now they're of course lithium, which last longer and, um, uh, and and do give a little better service. So, 20 volts lithium is the way to go on cordless uh, tools. Um, when, I, when I wrote a column on gifts for the handyman, <clears throat> I said there's – I ended the column by saying there's no more important present you can buy for your family than a carbon monoxide detector. And this is still the case, and there are still people out there that don't have carbon monoxide detectors in their, in their house. And uh, you, you got to do that. Uh, the law is near all the bedroom doors and the 15-foot rule in Colorado. So – Make sure you have a carbon monoxide detector, especially this time of year when the nights are long and we heat a lot with our furnaces and so on and our and our gas log fireplaces. And, of course, smoke detectors, they've been around for a long, long time. And smoke detectors, of course, are a must on every level of your home. That's the rule, and uh, I, I'm sure you have them, but make sure there's batteries in them. That's the thing. Once, once in a while, you'll see a story in the... In the newspaper about a, a family who, you know, loses family members or injuries or or even worse because they had a smoke detector with no batteries in it. So that's a big deal to make sure you have batteries. And the, the new smoke detectors that I really like are the dual smoke detectors. You can find these online for oh, less than $30. They have the dual technology of a photocell and a little ionizing detector. So just look for dual dual type or dual technology smoke detectors when you shop online. The Nighthawk uh, carbon monoxide detector is my favorite. And the Kida brand, which Kida is actually part of Nighthawk, K-I-D-D-E, that's my favorite brand of smoke detector. It's what I have in my house. So there's just a couple ideas of our leftover list from last week. If you have a favorite gift for the handy person in your life, you could call us. But again, we're looking for Christmas memories today. If you have a favorite memory of days gone by when you were a kid, uh, we'd love to have you share it. And I'll share my favorite with you uh, probably a little later, maybe towards the, uh, maybe the end of this hour or the beginning of next hour. By the way, Happy Hanukkah. The 17th is the beginning of the eight-day celebration, eight-night, I guess it is, of Hanukkah today. So for those of you that celebrate it, our Jewish friends, uh, happy, happy Hanukkah season to you and Merry Christmas to everybody. I, uh, I, you know, Happy Holidays is okay, but I prefer Merry Christmas, and I wish you and your family a very, very Merry Christmas this year. 
719-473-1240 is our contact line. We did a list how to tell if you're a blue neck a couple of weeks ago. I'm sure you may remember that. Those are the Northeastern people from New England, New York, New Jersey that, that um, are just out of touch with the redneck population, which, of course, is down down south. Blue necks are people that think barbecue uh, is an actual verb to barbecue in your yard and not, some, not something you eat. And they can't pronounce Worcestershire sauce. Look, we did that list. Well, here's an extreme redneck list that I found in my archives, which I thought you might get a kick of. Then we'll go take our break. Let's say you're an extreme redneck. This is the people down south, and we're making fun, but it's all in good good spirit. You're an extreme redneck when you let your 14-year-old daughter smoke at the dinner table in front of her kids. Ooh, how about that? The blue book value of your truck goes up and down depending how much gas is in it. I like that one. Uh, you're an extreme redneck when you've been married three times and still have the same in-laws. Or you think a woman who is out of your league bowls on a different night of the week. I think that's that's pretty cute. You're an extreme redneck when you wonder how service stations keep their restrooms so clean. <laughs> uh, or someone in your family died right after saying, hey, guys, watch this. Isn't there a version of that that says uh, the precursor to a disaster is hold my beer can and, and watch this? Yeah. One time, your extreme redneck of your wife's hairdo was once ruined by a ceiling fan. Or if your junior prom offered daycare. Ooh, that's a little creepy, isn't it? You're an extreme redneck if you think the last words of the Star Spangled Banner are, what, gentlemen, start your engines. Yeah, you heard that before. Or if you light a match in the bathroom and your house exploded right off the, off the axles. You're an extreme redneck when the Halloween pumpkin on your porch has more teeth than your, than your spouse. Oh, that's not that's not so good. Or if one of your kids was born on a pool table. Um, <laughs> here's one. You need your extreme redneck. You need one more hole punched in your card to get a freebie at the house of tattoos. Okay, very good. Thought you might that list. That's eh, I don't know. It wasn't my favorite list, but we got through it. Okay, seven one nine four seven three. 1240 is our contact line. We'll be right back right here on Around the House. Stick around. Well, the hail season is behind us, you know, for for another year. So you don't really think about your roof much at this time of year. I understand that. But there may be damage up there you're not aware of. But Trolley Roofing, my roofing sponsor, is offering another same deal this year. It's called the Winter Prep Package. 21-point roof inspection, up to 200 feet of gutter cleaning and minor repairs for only $199. So if you haven't cleaned your gutters this year, don't get up there and... Put yourself in jeopardy. Let Petrolli do it. They have very competitive prices. And if there's insurable damage up there, of course, they'll walk you through the insurance claim process. You never know. You may have had a hailstorm. You weren't home. You're not aware of it. So have Petrolli check out your roof with their 21-point roof inspection and their winter prep package. Give them a call, 719-375-8773, 719-375-8773, or PetrolliRoofing.com. Let Petrolli and nobody else up on your roof. The 21-point roof inspection, only $199 at Petrolli Roofing. 
from your faucet to your furnace and everywhere in between. Ken Moon has solutions around the house. Give him a call now at 719-473-1240. That's 719-473-1240. It is 21 minutes after the hour. Got a Hall's cough drop here from Matt. We'll see. That might help a little bit, kind of smooth things out. I told the guys the control room, I can hear the whole audience across all of uh, southern Colorado clearing its collective throat. Reminds me, <laughs> one of Rodney Dangerfield's routines was he was talking about his early days in show business. You know, these acts he had to work with. He had, a, where he had to work with a rabies-infected dog act and that kind of thing. He said one of them, he said, worked with a girl singer. She was so bad that after her first song, the audience asked for a glass of water. <laughs> I thought that was kind of a funny line. Anyway, um, let's see here. Where was I? Oh, here's an got some email this week that's pretty good. Um, let's see. Yeah, one here's one from Glenn. Good question. I have ten inches of rolled insulation in my attic. Yeah, some of you may have, you know, that what we call bat insulation, not the loose stuff, but rolls that you just roll out between the between the trusses. I want to get to an R forty nine. That's a Glenn. That's a good target r49 which is a total of about oh around 15 or 16 inches you can figure about three r values per inch it's, it's actually about 3.2 or something like that so if you ended up with about 15 or 16 inches totally but you'll be close to an r49 r50 um uh, i'm concerned that if i add cellulose it'll be too heavy and what about fiberglass what about uh, fire safety. Well, cellulose insulation has a fire retardant in it. Cellulose is ground up. Cellulose, kind of pa- paper kind of material, they put some borate chemicals in it so it's not, not vulnerable to fire. But I kind of like the idea of adding loose fiberglass over what you have now. You can mix and match insulation in your attic. It's not a big deal. You can keep your... your uh, bat insulation, the rolled stuff in the attic now and just cover it with what we call a cap or a layer of fiberglass, blown fiberglass insulation. Let's see, did you say? How you, oh, let's see. I, I have 10 inches of rolled insulation in my attic. Okay. So you want another six inches or so of blown-in fiberglass and that'll get you to that R49, R50. But here's a caveat. Right, by the way, you, there's a point at which Insulation gets so thick that it weighs itself down and it's a diminishing return. In other words, you add enough insulation, it gets so heavy that it squishes itself down, so you have less insulating value. So that 15 or 16 inches is kind of close to the to the theoretical limit of how much insulation total you should have. I'm talking about loose material now. So you'll have a 10-inch rolled insulation, 6 inches of loosey-goosey fiberglass on top of that, and that'll be fine. But here's something that the insulation company will probably mention, and I'll mention it also. We don't want interposing layers of a vapor barrier in your situation. You, um, Hopefully your vapor barrier, which is the paper facing on your, on your rolled insulation, is facing up. And we would want to probably uh, destroy that or at least... Uh, diminish its effectiveness. We don't want to trap moisture between insulating layers in the attic. So they'll probably want to slash the paper. They can just get very sharp 
box cutters or linoleum knives and just slash the existing insulation vapor barrier, the paper, so it'll allow moisture to travel back and forth if it wants to. Now, that'll add to the costs of adding the, the loose insulation, but that, you should do that. With, uh, you shouldn't ignore the vapor barrier on the rolled insulation you have now, but I like that idea of adding blown insulation right over the top of what you have. If you have old Rockwell insulation was popular kind of in the 70s and 80s. That was that stuff that basically is is we, we, we take uh, minerals and cook them and kind of blow them up by cooking them and spin them into a into a fibrous insulating material. Well, we don't use that stuff anymore because it's full of heavy metals like uh, manganese and arsenic and all uh, stuff you just don't want in your environment. Uh, and so rock wool, if you have it now, you just leave it in place and put a layer of blown insulation right over the top. That's not a big deal. So whatever you have, you can mix and match. There are all kinds of insulation styles from pro- bygone decades. Vermiculite was another one. Vermiculite is is that mica-like material that and some of that has had asbestos in it. We're not sure which uh, sources had asbestos and which didn't. So you want to leave all of that old stuff alone, even the old sawdust-type cellulose insulation from like the 30s and 40s. I've seen that occasionally. It's kind of yellow, just like you think of sawdust. Leave it alone. Don't remove what you have now and just add a, a nice layer of fiberglass, which is my favorite, or you could also use cellulose if you'd like, right over the existing insulation to get that total height of 15 to 16 inches. So uh, I think your plan is a good one, Glenn, but make sure you remind them to defeat the vapor barrier on the rolled insulation you have now by slashing the, the paper. That will allow sometimes now in our climate, it's so dry here. This is not a huge worry, but sometimes moisture wants to travel back and forth between spaces. You know, the moisture uh, relative humidity in your house is different from the attic sometimes. And so moisture might want to, might want to traverse back and forth and you want to let it do that. You don't want to uh, prohibit or, or, or slow it down because you don't want to get mold. You want moisture to be able to freely move back and forth if it wants to move. So that vapor barrier would interfere with that. So I hope that's uh, helpful to you, Glenn. That's a great question this time of year, especially because uh, natural gas prices, I got a story on that a little later, are going to keep going up. And so your temperature is going down and your power bills are, or your gas bills are going up. And that's a very typical, but it's going to be worse this winter probably than in prior winters. So as we've said before, the two things you can do that are most cost effective to save energy, attic insulation, number one, because heat likes to rise through your ceiling and windows, number two, because windows are just nothing but big holes in the side of your house. So good vinyl windows from Dutch's Home Improvement and some good insulation up there in the attic. And you've done probably 75% of what you need to do to save energy this and every winter. And, of course, in the summertime, if you have air conditioning, you'll save energy also because less heat will get in the house and your air conditioning load will be less. So, Glenn, thanks for that email. If you want to email me during the week, it's easy to do. Just go to aroundthehouse.com. Actually, you could do it right now if you wanted to. Uh, Get on the air right now, and I'll 
see your email. But during the week or any time, go to aroundthehouse.com, second button from the left, and uh, I'll see your email right here in the uh, in the studio right now. But during the week, I will answer it. I'm pretty good about answering emails within oh, no more than 24 hours. So uh, I'd be delighted to get an email from you if you want to want to correspond that way as Glenn did. So aroundthehouse.com, there's a little email Ken icon there that you can use and I'll see it and respond to you. We'll get a little email dialogue going. But right now, if you email me to that location, to aroundthehouse.com, I'll answer your email right here on the air. Time for a break. We'll be right back. 719-473-1240. And once again, live email aroundthehouse.com. We'll be right back. Well, I was just talking about getting new windows on your house, and uh, the folks I want you to call is a name you've heard now for many years. They've been around more than 30 years. Dutch's Home Improvement. They're fully licensed, insured, of course. They're your local go-to home improvement contractor, and I want you to give them a call to get some new vinyl windows on your house. Not only will you save energy summer and winter, that goes without saying because they use only the best windows available, uh, but you'll... uh, You'll have a better looking house. It'll update your house. House won't look so dated. It'll look like like a kind of a little bit like a facelift. Uh, you know, on the front of your house, your your curb appeal will be better. But the main thing is you'll be saving energy summer and winter. So give them a call, Dutchess at 719-392-1369 or DutchessHomeImprovement.com. Again, 719-392-1369. Dutchess uses the best installers in, in, in town, and the main thing is they stand behind their work. For over 30 years now, Dutchess Home Improvement. From your roof to your foundation and everywhere in between, Ken Moon has solutions around the house. Give him a call now at 719-473-1240. That's 719-473-1240. Limping right along here with my la- little laryngitis. I um, Life wouldn't be the same in December if I didn't get laryngitis. Almost virtually every year, This I get whatever this crud is called, but I hope you'll bear with me here as we uh, head on towards uh, our two-hour show. Uh, we'll be here another hour and a half or so. We'd love it if you'd check in with us at 719-473-1240 and live email at aroundthehouse.com. By the way, we have podcasts going, which... Uh, of the program, and we'll, this program will be uh, up uh, and available at the podcast site a couple hours after we go off the air. We have now going back to the 1st of July, so if you want to check those out, you can come uh, through my site, aroundthehouse.com. Just, there's a click, listen to podcast little icon there, and uh, it'll take you to the KRDO site. We'd love it if you check in. We're getting a lot of hits on the podcast, and I'm glad about that, and keep, keep, keep doing that because we love it when you – when you participate in our in our podcast. So uh, uh, if you want to check out segment by segment, you can do that at aroundthehouse.com. Listen to podcasts. It'll take you to krdo.com, and it'll be right. It'll be right there. So uh, have at it. And, w- w- again, thank you for all the hits that we're getting. Let's see here. Here's um, <clears throat> who is this from? Robert, tell me about dryer vents. Should I have mine looked at? Well, it's a, that's, a, that's a pretty broad question. Uh, it's good to clean your dryer vent once in a while. There are, theoretically, there's a very rare fire hazard with a dryer vent. Uh, there are examples with lint buildups that are so severe uh, and uh, dryers that maybe don't have their interlock 
their little fire safety uh, sensor working properly. I guess there there have been a few examples. I've never seen one locally here, but it's uh, it's a good idea to clean it anyway, even if the, the, the risk of fire, as I say, is rare. But that's not the point. The point is you don't want to waste energy drying your clothes. And if the dryer vent is plugged up with lint and old socks and underwear and stuff, you, you're taking a lot longer to dry your clothes than, uh, than you should. So, And since most of us dry electrically, which is the most expensive way to, to do anything when it comes to heat, uh, you want to clean the dryer vent once in a while. Uh, you can. Um, it, it, there's a really easy way uh, to do this. You know, we used to talk about we get a shop vac and maybe a, uh, a some kind of a long stick and and blow the uh, from one end and and suck lint from the other and scratch it out. There's a good way to do this now that's kind of foolproof. Instead of fiddling one end and then the other and trying to look up there with a flashlight and scrape out what you can. Most of the lint, by the way, accumulates at either end of the dryer vent, at the dryer end, and and much more so at the other end. So you just want to blow it out. I use my leaf blower, and you can do this. It's very, very easy to do. If you have an electric leaf blower at home, you simply uh, take the out, – outside there will be a, a dryer vent cap on the side of your house, a little louver kind of thing that you can um, – uh, unscrew or pop it off, however it come, might be nailed on or screwed on. So there's a wide open hole there. Then you go to the other end and put your electric leaf blower in where the you know you got to move the dryer out of the way and put it in the in the hole where the where the dryer vent goes and just burst not continuously now bursts of air uh, from that leaf blower. It'll blow right out into the yard all of that lint that's accumulated. The stuff you can't see actually. Uh, and just keep bursting until uh, you might have a partner out there. You might want to; they might want to have a cardboard box to catch it, so it doesn't get all over the flower bed. But you get the idea. Just blow it out with your electric leaf blower, and it, it does a nice job. It really is a, a very efficient way to do that. And then when that's uh, when that's done, uh, there's another thing you need to do that really um, most people don't know about or think about and there's accumulation inside your dryer the dryer itself inside the twists and turns of the vent there is a buildup of lint that you have to once in a while get to it's a pain in the neck but once you're used to it it's easy to you know it's easy to repeat you have to usually take the front of the of the uh, dryer uh, kind of the front panel of the dryer off which will expose the the guts the innards of your dryer the drum itself it'll just sit there temporarily and there'll be a little you'll see lint down underneath uh, the uh, the drum itself going all the way out to the back and you'll see a b- bunch of lint there you can use your uh, shop vac or uh, again you could a leaf blower which would be a little overkill but you can or just scratch it out by hand there'll be lint accumulated inside the twists and turns of the uh, of the dryer vent itself so that's kind of the you got to so you got to clean that out once in a while. How often should you clean your dryer vent? Probably uh, once a year is would be ideal. Uh, so uh, I'll, I'll leave that up to you. Um, generally speaking, dryer vents that are vertical that go up through the through the uh, roof of the house 
generally, they accumulate lint more often than the horizontal dryer vents, which are the more traditional ones. So if you know whether or not your dryer vent goes straight up, gravity will uh, tend to have its effect and that lint will fall down and accumulate behind the dryer itself in the wall. So you want to make sure that you maybe a little more on, maybe twice a year, check for lint accumulation behind uh, the dryer if you have a vertical dryer vent. So that's kind of the story on, on dryer vents. You want to clean them once in a while because you sure don't want to have to take longer uh, to dry your clothes uh, than necessary. Um, Chris was asking about a long lint brush. Yeah, that's okay, but you're not going to be able to get the, the twists and turns back in the basement in the walls and so on. So if you want to do a, a thorough job, again, you can you can clean. If you get the lint at, at the outside of the house and in the inside by the dryer, you've got most of it, but there's still stuff. It depends. The rules have really changed on, on dryer vents. Now, how many elbows uh, you are allowed, how many fittings, you know, 45-degree angles and so on, because that really slows down the airflow of your dryer. So... The, the rules now are much more stringent. You have to go pretty much straight out of the house. That's why builders are, are, are putting in vertical dryer vents because the allowable lengths are a lot shorter than they used to be. Now, I have a house that's 50 years old, almost 50 years old, so Lord knows how many twists and turns are in my dryer vent. I hope I, I can visualize maybe at least two elbows before it goes outside, and the elbow is equivalent to about 20 feet of resistance of just a normal straight pipe. So you can see the more elbows, the more fittings, the more twists and turns in your dryer vent, the more accumulation is going to be of lint. So blow that baby out uh, once a year, and you'll uh, drying your clothes will be a lot more efficient. And even though the risk... Pardon me, the risk is pretty low of a fire, you will have eliminated that risk altogether. Now remember, there is a... I mentioned this a couple of minutes ago, but it's worth repeating... All dryers are required to have a high limit cutout. That there's there's a little sensor, uh, and somewhere in the area of the drum, that if the temperature gets above a, a certain uh, you know a certain number of degrees Fahrenheit, I would suspect it's maybe 160, 70, 80, something like that. That the dryer will just just go offline. It just won't work anymore because sometimes people will stuff large comforters. And other, you know, too many towels, it'll just overload the dryer and the air can't get through quick enough and, <clears throat> and you'll get overheating. So there is a, a high limit cutout, but you don't want to rely on that. You want to load your dryer uh, judiciously, not overload it. Uh, comforters, you know, frankly, are, are best left to the dry cleaning folks, but, you know, do, I'll let you decide that. But thank you, Robert, for that <clears throat> question. I went on a long time on that, but it, it's kind of a, a topic we don't talk about all that much, but getting the lint out of your out of your life, so to speak, in your dryer vent is a good way to save energy. And finally, <clears throat> dryer vents must vent outside. In thermodynamics, uh, there, there's a there's a concept of the uh, of the uh, what we would normally call a wide open space and an, an infinite space. It's called which is the great outdoors. In our case, when it comes to a dryer, you must release that, and that, that gives them the maximum efficiency to your dryer versus running it into a crawl space, into a garage, into a bucket full of water, into a pantyhose or whatever. Little Some people have these most amazing, ingenious ways they think to, quote, save energy, 
but all they're doing is taking longer to dry their clothes. So the, so the infinite space of the great outdoors, you must vent the dryer. And crawl spaces are kind of dangerous because I've been in crawl spaces that are just absolutely full of lint and cobwebs and things. So not a good idea. Vent the dryer outdoors where it belongs and your clothes will dry more quickly and you'll have an efficient, efficiently operating system the way it was engineered in the first place. Time for a break. We'll be right back. 719-473-1240 is our contact line and live email at aroundthehouse.com. Well, I think I told you I signed up for the Above the Rest Premier Garage Door membership, Above the Rest Garage Door Company. It's surprisingly inexpensive, and that means twice a year now I'm going to get a tune-up on my garage door. Ed, the owner, came out and gave me a tune-up about a month ago or so, and I signed up for the program when I saw how cheap it, how inexpensive it was, and I want you to do the same thing. That way you won't get trapped at home some morning and be late for work or an appointment when your garage door won't go up. Winter's the hardest season of all on a garage door, and so I want you to give them call. Their phone number is 719-499-0491. That's the Above the Rest Garage Door Company. It's a good company, a good outfit. I think you'll really enjoy dealing with them. Ed's the owner and customer service dedication is a big deal. They'll tighten the nuts and bolts, lubricate everything and adjust it so it works great the way it was engineered and works safely. So Above the Rest Garage Door, give them a call at 719-499-0491. Ask for the program that Ken Moon signed up for, the premier membership program. You'll, you and your garage door will be glad you did. Above the rest. Need help with your next home project? Back to Around the House with Ken Moon. Give him a call now at 719-473-1240. That's 719-473-1240. All right, it's 11 minutes before the hour. A shout out to our listeners up there in Wyoming. In Casper, Wyoming, our affiliate KTWO, 50,000 watts, Voice of Wyoming. Matter of fact, it's 1030 on the dial, which is a Kind of a clear channel. WBZ in Boston, where I grew up, was a 1030 station back there. And K2 is also... The other night, it's fun to kind of tune around if you're a kind of a radio freak like like I am. At night, of course, the ionosphere comes down and there's better reflectivity of radio signals. So Casper was booming in here the other night from uh, 300 and about 75 miles away, 350, something like that. Um, came in really great. Uh, there's a... Uh, you know, there's less interference at night and, and more skip, as they call it. It's fun to what we used to call DXing. DXing means means uh, long distance radio reception, and it used to be kind of a hobby. I don't know if you guys have heard about that or not. Like ham radio operators, they'd have DX cards that uh, you know that people that said they were listening in in Finland or somewhere like that or Portugal. Uh, they get a DX card from the ham radio operator. And uh, same thing with shortwave stations and AM stations. There's a lot of skip, and particularly in the wintertime, when the nights are longer, it's colder. It's colder, you get much of that radio skip. It's kind of fun to to uh, listen around the dial. Uh, stations from Dallas and Omaha come in here crystal clear at night. I'd love, I love, I love floating around the dial at night on AM radio. Of course, that's just me, but that's okay. Let's see, what do we have here? Email. Merry Christmas, by the way. I want to say it again. Happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah begins uh, today. So all the best of the season to all of our listeners. John said, I broke the handle of my microwave. Can I install a new one myself? Well, I don't know. I'm really reluctant 
to advise listeners to fiddle with a microwave because if you got to remove the door or the inner, uh, there's a inner and outer reflectivity. There's a pan like a sandwich, the microwave door. If you remove that inner uh, inner panel to get at the screws for your handle, I understand. Um, but when you're done, there's a jeopardy, some jeopardy of leakage around the microwave door, and that's the last thing you want for your family. And um, but uh, go ahead and if you want to go to the manufacturer's website and type it in, uh, type in the model number, look for an isometric drawing, like an exploded drawing, and see where the screws are and how easy they are to get to. Um, and you can uh, you can then make your decision about how comfortable you are taking the door apart and putting it back together uh, again. There, there are all kinds of really neat sites to get appliance parts now. Uh, AppliancePros.com is one smallappliancesparts.com there's many many sites that uh that I've perused and used some to get appliance parts that are a lot cheaper than buying it right from the manufacturer so you might want to look for your handle at one of the uh, off-brand small appliance parts company and you can also of course look online on YouTube there may be some ways to get this done here's the thing though when you fiddle with a microwave when you're all done with your project getting a new handle on there you need to really do a test to see if there's any additional microwave leakage. Uh, most home inspectors will carry, uh, I'm not say, I shouldn't say most, many home inspectors will carry a little microwave leakage detector. It's uh, just a little sensor about the size of a, uh, I don't know, about the size of a cell phone. Uh, that you just, you run it with the microwave, you put a, you know, a, like a, a, a pint of water in there and, and, and head it on, turn it on high, and then you go around two inches around the whole door looking for excessive microwave radiation leakage. And if you don't see any when you're done, you're, you're, you're golden. That's fine. But get that test done when you're done fiddling with your microwave. I'm really reluctant, as I say, to have you do this. But if you're good with tools, a lot of the little screw heads are Torx or Hex, you know, really odd shaped screws so you got to have the right tools to get in there uh, but uh, if you do it make sure you do that test when you're done there's another when you do a and this is i don't want to get this is getting into the weeds when you do the microwave leak detector test you got to have all the kitchen lights off because fluorescent lights and uh, i think even led lights will interfere with the test so you run it two inches around the the door and that's that's the kind of the, the protocol of testing your microwave and tell the kids by the way just like with, uh, we used to tell them, not so much with LED TVs anymore, but when we had the regular uh, cathode ray TVs, color TVs, there's some radiation from those, and we always want the kids to be back five or six feet minimum or even more. Same thing with the microwave. Tell the kids and tell everybody in the family that when you run the microwave, you stand back. There's no reason to have your face right up against the microwave looking, staring at the food because the radiation yeah, falls off very quickly when you move back. So stay a foot or so away from the front of the microwave while it's operating. Just just common sense uh, to uh, to do it that way, just to not, not expose yourself to any excess radiation. There is some there, and it's, uh, it's not good if you get radiation because the microwave radiation is tuned into, uh, into uh, the, the wavelength to heat food. Well, guess what? You're... 
your eyeballs and your face and all of your flesh and your skin and so on uh, would be affected by that because it's you know we we share some things with chicken, right? I mean, we got skin like chicken and everything else. So your eyeballs, particularly, by the way, I remember this from my training in the Air Force, are very susceptible to microwave radiation. So our flesh, our bodies are uh, would be susceptible to being heated. And uh, that's not what you want when you're when you're hanging around the kitchen. So stay back from the microwave. Not a bunch, but just that two-inch test is the, is the protocol for that very reason. I want you to be back at least that far, and I think a foot or so is even better. Microwave is, what will we do without our microwaves? I don't know how we could get along. I remember the first one we bought was, I think, 1976. It was about the size of half of a phone booth. Really huge thing that sat on the counter there was no rotating plate or anything just a little uh timer uh in uh on the front a little clock timer and it was uh it was huge it did the job on the first night we had it, i remember the kids oh they cooked soup and scrambled eggs and we just had to this new invention that we, we were so fascinated with now it's become such a part of our lives hasn't it and and good for us right Anyway, but microwave radiation, even though it's the the manufacturers have included all kinds of grounding and shielding, you don't want to expose yourself to it. So, again, when the microwave is running, stay back a foot or so, and I think that's that's smart and wise to do that. Three, uh, let's see, seven. I almost said three oh three, seven one nine four seven three twelve forty. We don't have time for a phone call anyway right now, so we're going to coming up to the top of the hour after. After the top of the hour, when we come back from the news at six minutes after the hour, I want to read my column about my Christmas memory. It has an electric train component to it. And we also, there was a piece this morning in the Gazette about, here we go again, uh, rule could limit natural gas is the headline. Here we go. So we'll run through that a little bit. As the weenies and the bureaucrats are going to do everything they can to get natural gas out of our lives. And I guess, you know, we'll... Got to start busting up the furniture to heat our houses, right, or something like that. Let's see. Time for the news, and we'll be back right after that with hour number two of Around the House. Thank you for tolerating my voice today, and we'll try to get it a little better during the break. 719-473-1240 and live email at aroundthehouse.com. In the wonderland, in the meadow we can build a snowman. Then pretend that he is Parson Brown He'll say, are you married? We'll say, no man But you can do the job when you're in town Oh, the weather outside is frightful But the fire is so delightful And since we've no place to go Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow Man, it doesn't show signs of stopping. Hey, it's six and minutes I'm after the hour. Merry Christmas to all of you, and, uh, and I hope you have a wonderful holiday with your family. Dean Martin had a really pretty good voice. I was talking earlier in the hour about Elvis. One of that was one of Elvis's idols. Elvis's, if you're not kind of down in the uh, down in the throat kind of a voice that Elvis had was an uh, directly traceable to Dean Martin's singing style. Uh, he was one of Elvis's heroes. I don't know if you knew that or not. I'm sure you don't really care, but my Elvis trivia. 
Anyway, it's one of those things that my brain is full of stuff like that. Nobody cares. But anyway, I wanted to, this is a column I've run. Uh, when my column was running uh, probably 15 or 20 times or so uh, that I first uh, published in 1996. It was about a, a Christmas, my favorite Christmas memory. And if you have a, a favorite of your own uh, from your childhood, I'd love it if you'd share it with us. But this is, I'm going to just read the column. It's kind of, uh, you know, in the first person. I'll just read it, read it as it was published here about my favorite Christmas memory. And I hope this uh, you'll find this uh, entertaining and uh, remin- my, my reminiscences, my reminiscences will remind you of your Christmas past. Say that three times and the duck will come down, remember, Groucho? Anyway, allow me to reminisce. Here's my column. Allow me to reminisce a little. This is the story of my seventh Christmas way back in the 50s. If you remember those days, you surely recall how little money most families had. Many presents were homemade and toys weren't nearly as complex, high-tech, and expensive as they are now. We probably would be considered poor by today's standards. We just didn't know it because everyone else was in the same boat. That's true to some extent today, I think. I was quite a little train guy back then. I still am, actually, and I never miss a chance to stop at a crossing as one of those big coal trains rumbles by. I still have a black-and-white picture, and I have this somewhere at home, of little old me sitting on a rock, and holding up a late 40s and well-thumbed Lionel train catalog. Those gorgeous train sets were maybe 30 or 40 bucks or so, and therefore were achingly out of our family's price range, or so I thought. Anyway, my column continues. My dad had a self-contained workshop, a shed really, detached from the house, and for weeks starting before Thanksgiving, I was discouraged from visiting him when he went in there after work, even to notify him that supper was ready, as I usually did every day. When you're seven, of course, Christmas seems always seems far away, so I missed the relationship between the coming holiday and the secret taking shape behind those locked doors. And then came Christmas morning. We stumbled down the stairs before the sun came up, and there, just barely visible in the glow of the tree lights, was a four-foot-by-eight-foot piece of plywood covered with artificial grass, trees, dirt, streets, and small buildings, and you guessed it, a train set. It was that same three-rail Lionel 027-gauge set I had been drooling over in the catalog for a couple years with an engine that really smokes. You had to add a little pill to the smokestack, a station that had a whistle inside, a real log car that actually dumped the load, Uh, It was a magnetic sensor and other wonderful features which escape me now. At any rate, the point of this column, this is the first time I realized how really clever my dad was to think he'd actually done the framing, wiring, track laying, scenery, and painting all by himself without any prior knowledge that I knew about that he knew anything about model trains in the first place. And I'm stunned now to think that the whole project might have cost around 50 bucks or so, which was about a week's pay in those days. So here's the point here. Where did all this admiration lead? Well, to an early and lifelong ap- appreciation that using tools and making and repairing things is eminently satisfying. I went on to learn how to solder a pipe and wire a switch by the time I was about 10 years old. It's easy when you have got a good teacher and you could be just that person in your family. 
It's a great way to soak up idle hours and peel the kids away from those cursed cell phone and iPod scre- iPad screens, right? Plus, I defy you to find anywhere else the kind of fulfillment you get from standing back and admiring your latest workbench project or repair, no matter how small. So parents, grandparents, if you need one more gift, buy an age-appropriate toolbox set and use it along with some of your time to show the kids, boys and girls now, how to become little DIYers. And by the way, my holiday wish for you is that one day the little ones in your life may have at least one Christmas memory as dear as mine. So that's my column about my favorite Christmas memory in my electric train set and how I, you know, I was sitting here today giving advice about home repairs. I can trace directly back to my dad and his skills. And his dad was a, his, his, my grandfather was a union carpenter back in New England for about, about almost, you know, 50, 60 years, something like that. So it's, you know, and I, and I'm sensing as I do home inspections for young couples, that these skills aren't taught as much as they used to be in terms of how to fix stuff. You got a little, got a kid, I was going to say little kid, got a, a kid, a, a young adult going away to college or getting their own apartment, buy them a toolbox set uh, and and just watch, stand back and watch how they can, uh, t- you know, we got HGTV now, we have this program, we have uh, videos on YouTube uh, and it's it's so satisfying to be able to do stuff yourself, and you save a lot of money because it's it ain't cheap, right? To to have somebody come to your house to fix things and repair and remodel and so on. So that's my Christmas memory. If you have one of your own, I'd love it if you'd share it with us here on the radio. Seven one nine four seven three one two four zero is the is the contact number. Here's something I wanted to talk about that we haven't. Uh, I don't think this season. I cover almost every year, and that's how how much people sometimes ask me how much I set back my thermostat at night when I go to bed. Most most people, I think I can say most, have some kind of an electronic thermostat, they, a little computer inside uh, that you can set to go up and down twice a day. You know, it can go down when you go to work and come back up before you get home, and down at night when you go to bed, and up in the morning. You get the idea. Up and down at least twice a day. And so you want to set back the thermostat to save a little energy overnight. And people say, how long, uh, how much should I set it back? I'll tell you what I do at my house. Uh, I, I go back 7 degrees Fahrenheit. I go back from 71 to 64 every night when I retire. Uh, at, at, uh, I set I've set to go down at 11 o'clock and come up at uh, around 6.30 or so. The reason... I like that number, and I've experimented over the years. I mean, you can pick any number you want. Uh, that, at my house at least, that's about a whole night's worth of the furnace not coming on. Now, you, your house may leak more heat out than mine does or, or less, but if you set it back too far and you have a leaky house, it can take too long to recover in the morning. So if you go back 8, 10, 12 degrees, uh, that's fine, but... Maybe if, if your house leaks a lot of energy and it's down 10 degrees or more when you get up in the morning, it just takes a long time to recover. So I found in my life that 7 degrees is about right. I kind of keep track. You know, I get up during the night, as many of us do as I get older and stuff, and uh, my furnace doesn't run uh, pretty much on these cold nights uh, all night long. So that 7 degrees is probably about as much heat as my house loses in six or eight hours of overnights 
on the chilly winters we have here. So uh, try seven degrees. I, mean, I wouldn't argue if you went eight, but you can experiment. You want to pick a number that on a cold night your furnace doesn't come on at all till till the following till the following morning. So that's kind of the story. I have a Honeywell thermostat. I wish I could give you the serial number. I don't have it here with me. Uh, that's that has an automatic feature. So in the spring, when we get cool nights and hot days, when there's a transition season, you know, like in in the May time frame, uh, May into June, where sometimes you want a little AC in the daytime, but maybe still a little heat at night. It's cool because it goes back and forth to heating and air conditioning as it needs to. So I have the have it on the auto setting. Uh, I can also put it on heat only or cool only, but I like my Honeywell. That's my recommendation. It costs about, my thermostat I think costs about 80 bucks or so, something like that. And I really enjoy my Honeywell. And as, if I had the serial number, I'd I'd give it to you. But you'll see it online. Just type in, if you want to go to oh Amazon or someplace, just type in automatic thermostat Honeywell and you'll see, see one right there. It has a green screen, really works well. Uh, and I have a, uh, on a, I don't want to get too, off the reservation here in terms of detail, but I have a dual gas valve uh, furnace at my house, a high-low gas valve uh, that I really like, and it can save you energy because it has on a, on a moderately uh, on a moderate morning uh, the low setting comes on seventy thousand BTUs, uh, which which usually is enough on moderately cool mornings, and if it's extra cool, it goes right up to a hundred thousand. It can go back and forth, so I have my thermostat. Uh, uh, hooked up and programmed so that it accommodates the high low gas valve it really works great i'm really happy with my ream two-stage gas valve furnace and my honeywell thermostat so i just thought you'd like seven degrees try that for a while and see if that works but don't go back 10 or 12 i, I just it'll just take too long to heat up especially if you have an older house that leaks a lot of heat uh, overnight in the winter time Okay, we'll be back with your phone calls and some more. We eat this week's email e -e -e -e, right after this on Around the House, 719-473-1240. Well, here's a commercial for my friends at Dutch's Home Improvement, a name I know you've heard because they've been around town more than 30 years. I sat down with Gary at lunch one time, the owner of Dutch's, and I'm so impressed with his commitment to quality and good old-fashioned customer service. That's why he's been around so long. So uh, if this, it's time for new windows at your house, if you have those ugly old steel, aluminum, or wood windows from bygone decades, you're wasting maybe up to 30% uh, of your energy here in the wintertime. So I want you to call Dutch's at 719-392-1369 and get some new windows on your house. Maybe even eligible for a rebate, but the point is it'll make your house look better and younger than it, it does now. Give it kind of a facelift, but you'll be saving energy summer and winter. They carry the best brands of windows at Dutch's with the best installers in the business. So give them a call, Dutch'sHomeImprovement.com or 392-1369 for Dutch's Home Improvement. Things break around the house. That's why there's the Around the House program with Ken Moon. Give him a call now at 719-473-1240. That's 719-473-1240. Hey, welcome back. It's 21 minutes after the hour. Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah from all of us here at the Around the House program. That includes me and Chris and 
Matt, we're glad you're with us. And we have a caller on the line, line one. Carl, you're on the air with Ken Moon around the house. Hi. Yeah, Ken, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Are you are you the Carl from the Denver area that emails me a lot? Well, not as much as I used to, although what I will say is that with your new hours, I have my lunch is at 2 o'clock, so that's why I get the opportunity oh, now good. to call. Well, Carl, it's nice to talk to you. I have got, I've gotten the emails from you over the years, and that's and I'm not complaining at all. I just it's, it's nice to be able to put a voice together with an email client, so to, so to speak. What's going on with you, buddy? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, well, first of all, I, I was an SWLer back in the day, um, a DXer, which I do believe stood for the dial crossing. And uh, what, yeah. what you would do is like, say, let's say that you picked up uh, Finland, right? Some station from Finland. So you'd send them the Sinpo report, and then they would send you back a uh, QSL card is what those, those were called. That's right. Yeah, QSL. You're absolutely right. You had to sort of, um, in a narrative, uh, describe what you heard so that he could be sure it was a legitimate thing. Um, exactly. Kind of the time of of day and time zone and what you heard him talking about. Yeah. Did you used to do that too? You said. Oh, I got I got uh, I got that some onion that that, that onion skin paper from Russia. Uh, yeah. Back then it was the Soviet Union. Um, but yeah, I used to send in the symbols. It was signal interference, noise propagation, and overall. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you you have a good memory. How much fun that is! You know, you don't hear. We're getting sidetracked here, but I was a ham radio guy. I never got beyond the novice because I had a trouble learning the code when I was a kid. But I built a transmitter and a, and I had a, a, a shortwave receiver. You don't hear about ham radio operators very much anymore. I guess they're still around. They just you just don't read yeah, about them. Yeah, they're still around. What I what I have found is you know I still have some old shortwave radios around here. And one day, about 10 years ago, I turned one on and there was nothing on anymore. So there's so much of it is on the Internet now that, that yeah. nobody's really you don't get that six o'clock news from Canada. <laughs> yeah, I used to listen to, um, uh, well, WWV, which now is in Fort Collins. Yeah. But when I was a kid, it was in Washington, D.C. The time tones from Canada had yeah. one. And uh, it was just fun to cruise around the dial. You'd hear, uh, you know, South Africa radio stations and from places South America, if you were lucky, that kind of thing. And I guess those shortwave stations are still on those entertainment stations, but maybe not so much. So ham radio folks are are, are online, as you were saying. I'm sad to hear that. Well, the the funny thing about WWV is you were hardcore and you listen to the whole hour. Um, at, at certain intervals, it would give you the locations of storms around the world and give you the, the G- the you know latitude and longitude of the storms and what the center barometric pressure was and yeah yeah <laughs> and wave, wave heights and that kind of thing and um for, now we're now we see we're getting way in the weeds here but you know if you have a if you have an atomic clock at, and you know this Carl I'm preaching to the choir but at home on your on your wall that thing sets itself from a WWV associated station up in Fort Collins and there's a couple of them in, in the world that that hook into that, uh, and I think once a day, it, I think it's WWVB, which is, if you look on the west side of the freeway driving through Fort Collins, you'll see all these radio towers. So that's the national time standard, which is uh, kind of neat to have it in Colorado, I guess. We're way off topic here, but this is fun. This is fun to talk about. I can hear people tuning out all over the oh, southern no. Colorado. Yeah, we can, so we need to get back to... Let's do something yucky like toilets or something. What do you think? 
How about a kitchen faucet? All right, let's do that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I just replaced, uh, you know, I got one of those old crappy Glacier Bay faucets, right? Yeah. And uh, it was doing the drip thing. So instead of replacing the entire faucet, I go, you know what, let's just replace the cartridges. So I went down to this place off of Santa Fe and Denver here and picked up a couple of cartridges. So I put them in. Now the, the hot, and I do you know you're supposed to, you know, have them wide open when you're, when you pull them out. Yeah. So, so I had the, 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 the hot is fine. Um, it's a little tight. It's a little tighter than, than I've ever had a faucet before, but it's just fine as far as the flow goes and that sort of thing. But my cold water, it, when I put it in, um, I turned the water on and it was just, you know, it was streaming a bit. Yeah. So, but you could, you could, you could turn it and it would go for full blast. So I went ahead and pulled the cartridge out, flipped it, you know, did the 180, stuck it back in there, and now it works just fine. There's a little bit of extra play in there, meaning like when you turn it on, it'll it'll uh, go, oh, just a few degrees further, and when you turn it off, it'll go just a few degrees further with a slight amount of resistance, but it go to turn it on now is counterclockwise and to turn it off is clockwise, and I'm wondering if there's a way to switch that, switch that around. Well, so it's 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 like we used to say bass backwards kind of. Um, it, mm-hmm. it, the, the hot and cold are reversed, or are they still proper? Okay, the, the hot is still fine. You do the counterclockwise to on, you know, clockwise to off. But on the cold, it's clock it's uh, counterclockwise on and clockwise off. Oh man! And you know your muscle memory. <laughs> I keep hitting it the wrong way all the time, so it's not leaking or dripping or anything. I'm just wondering, like that little, uh, that little copper clip that's on there. Could I, could I? Would that be flip that around and maybe it would work right? Or is there any indication that you should put a little silicone lubricant on the on the parts before you put it back together? Did they say anything like that? Um, I did. Yes. Um, di- you did. Okay. Boy, mm-hmm. I just I don't know. Um, that you know, I would. <clears throat> I'd probably. Which way is the second way? You're saying even though the cold is twists backwards, it's working better than it was when you had it in the first configuration, right? Exactly. Yeah. So just live with it. <laughs> Boy, I don't know. I would. You know what? I would. Pro- How long have you had this uh, baby back together? Uh, about four days. I would put it back the way it was at the first, Carl. And just let it loosen up a little bit. You know, it's like a new pair of shoes. Maybe see if it if it's only been four days. Give it a week or two and see if things uh, get a little uh, a little more uh, normal, so to speak. That's what I, I would. Gotcha. Yeah, it might. You know, there might be some seating. You know, of seating problems. Uh, you know that that it's not seating properly because it's a new part. I don't know, but I would. I, it would drive me nuts to have to twist the faucet the wrong way. So there you go. I'd put it back the way it was at first and just give it a little time. I really would. So like on the, on the, on the, uh, the tightness of my hot, is it possible that I torqued something down a little too hard? I mean, it seems kind of impossible, but I'm just kind of curious. Well, I would back off a quarter turn and see if it, as long as it doesn't leak, I probably would back off a little. I think sometimes, okay. yeah, I, th- I think sometimes we can, uh, you know, we were taught to get things nice and snug and tight, and maybe I, I'd back off a little bit and see if it changes. Yeah, probably you might. That that might be what's going on. Um, but you know, I wish I could be more specific for you. But I I think maybe just let that thing wear itself in a little bit. 
I think would be the answer. Uh, okay. Well, like, like I say, I, I now have a dry sink every morning, so well, you know the leaking stopped. That is very. That's very good. Very nice. I thought oh. you were going to give me the old thing about you know the uh, the hot and cold are reversed. In which case, I think it's Price Fister and some of those brands. You turn the cartridge 180 degrees, and it you know and you it, it it's instead of backwards it's normal and i thought that's what you were going to say but yeah it sounds to me like this is a wear kind of issue and a, a newness thing and i sh- i would just let it let it just do its thing for a while but yeah as long as it quit dripping uh that's that's 80% of the problem right yep other than the ocd with turning it on counterclockwise or off clockwise you know what i'm saying i would not want the i'm an ocd guy i would not want it backwards i'm sorry um, it would take it would take me too long to get used to it, and it, in the meantime, it would drive me nuts trying to get used to it. So I would put it back the way it was. Am I am I hearing you correctly? If you put it back the way you you first put it together, the rotation is okay. Uh, uh, yeah, the rotation is okay, but it but it, it it streams a significant amount of water, and no matter where I turn the handle, it won't it won't completely shut the water off. So I flip the cartridge 180. It turns the water off, but it counter it's it's counterclockwise on and or clockwise on and counterclockwise off. Oh, I you know I missed the streaming part. I I thought you could okay. You so you can't turn it totally off. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Okay, I yeah. missed that part. That's the whole point of the of the thing. Yeah, and the part you can't turn off is it hot or cold? Cold. Cold. Okay. Oh boy, that's a. I just. I wish I could help you. What brand is it again? Um, the the faucet is a Glacier Bay, but I picked up the cartridges at a plumbing uh, supply store. Yeah, a Flink is who it is. Yeah. Uh, I I might go back and talk to them about this because it, it's it's just not. It may be they need to give you a new one because. Well, I just, I, I was going to do that, but I thought I'd give you the first shot at it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, the streaming part bothers me. Yeah, and I it seems to me that's a defective. That part is defective because the rotation should still be exactly the same as it was. So I apologize. I missed that whole streaming part. I just thought it was a matter of of convenience, but it's more than that. So I would probably take take it back and get another one. And I, that's the only thing I can suggest at this point. I wasn't okay. well, thank you, thank you. well. I wasn't. I wasn't a huge help to you, Carl. But I am so happy that you called because I'm again a voice with an old email friend. I'm glad you you checked in. But would you do me a favor? Email me and see how this resolves itself. But I take the I take it back and, and get uh, and get new parts from the guys. Okay. Okay, and they're pretty cool down there. So I was going to go down there and talk to them after talking to you. Yeah. Okay. Well, I wish I'd been more help. But I will say Merry Christmas, and uh, I hope it resolves itself. Let me know one way or the other, will you? Oh, uh, yeah, I'll let you know for sure. Okay, very good. Okay. Thanks for your call. Yeah, have a good one. Wait, we're gonna take, we'll take a break, and then we'll do. What? All right, Steve, you're on the air. Good afternoon, Commander Ken, and Merry yeah. Christmas. I'll tell you what, you took me down memory lane there. Okay. Between WWV, and we were lucky enough to have dads that wanted to teach us and mentor us, and that's not happening very much anymore. I've tried to do that with my daughter with, uh, we shall say, limited success. Uh-huh. But anyway, I'm just going to pass on. Um, I don't understand why in, in 2022 everybody does not have CO detectors, but 
something struck my eye here. Airbnb, after losing a bunch of people in their rental units, has bought 200,000 CO detectors for owners that they rent properties on that don't have them. And then they came up with an idea I think is good for everybody, and that is they have a little portable traveling CO detector for maybe around 30 bucks. You can just throw in your suitcase because there are an increasing number of CO deaths in both hotels and Airbnbs. And if you've got it in your luggage and it's there ready to go, you can just plug it in, whether it's a hotel or an Airbnb. Yeah, yeah. And then the, the other issue that I don't get, just maybe me, but people call and their smoke detectors in op. And I go over there, well, yeah, they pulled the battery out when they're using a smoke detector for a cooking timer. And I'm, I just don't get the mentality because you leave your family unprotected. And, I, I don't understand. Uh, what, do, what do you mean? Uh, start over. What do you mean cooking timer? Well, they get something smoking on a stove, sets up the smoke detector, and they pull the battery out. And everybody oh, back. I see. Yeah, and just leave it out. Leave it out. Yeah. Well, that's another reason to not have a smoke detector very close to the kitchen. You know, that uh, it, it. You know, I know there are fires in kitchens and so on, but yeah, you're yeah. no, you're right. I'm amazed at it, uh, and I don't I haven't seen this lately, but the number of uh, fire deaths you see. Uh, and, and at the bottom somewhere of the article, it'll be uh, the smoke detectors were installed, but were apparently were inoperable. You know what that means? No battery. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then people, a lot of times, they like to steal them when they leave, both smoke detectors and CO detectors. So I have a little provision on the lease. If they're gone, here's what it's going to cost you. Yeah, it's yeah. Out of control. Out of control. Well, it's just amazing okay. that we've had this smoke detector technology since the mid-70s, I think. And you'd think now there. Were, I remember back in the in when smoke detectors first became popular, uh, there was a story. I don't know where this was of uh, somebody that had one under the Christmas tree, and had a Christmas tree fire, and the smoke detector went off, woke the family up. Thought that was a, you know, that's a story that I remember reading in the paper. Uh, and um, so yeah, that's no, unfortunate. That's unfortunate. Merry Christmas. No, no, not no reason to not have your family safe. Well, listen. Thanks for your call. I uh, I wish you a Merry Christmas, buddy. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Take a break. Be back right after this right here in Around the House. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Well, a loyal sponsor of Around the House, including the Ken Moon Minutes uh, uh, in the morning here uh, on the station, is Petroli Roofing. These are good guys, and I recommend them, highly recommend them to you and to my friends and family and so on. And so... I want you to give them a call at 719-375-8773 and ask about their winter prep package. They're doing it again this year. It's a good deal. 21-point roof inspection, up to 200 feet of gutter cleaning, and minor repairs to make sure your roof's ready for the rest of the of this uh, year's winter. It's priced at only $199, and that's a great price to avoid having to crawl around and hang by your thumbs from the gutters and you know, and, and, and take a risk cleaning your own gutters. So give them a call. These are the go-to guys. Petrolli will uh, will handle everything. If there's a claim that you need to make from uh, hail damage you didn't know about, they'll help you get through the insurance claim too. So they do it all in the roofing game. Petrolli Roofing, 375-8773. Fix-It videos can be so confusing. Let Ken Moon walk you through it on Around the House. Give him a call now at 719-473-1240. That's 719-473-1240. Welcome back to the program. It's 19 minutes before the uh, 
before the hour. Did you see this beauty in the Gazette this morning? The headline is, Rules Could Limit Natural Gas. Here we go. One of the early shots fired in uh, in limiting or not getting rid altogether of natural gas for heating, cooking, and hot water. It could be harder and more expensive to come by with the new rules of the Colorado uh, scrutinizing new gas line construction or extending existing lines. New rules affecting gas utility companies have the potential to limit system expansion and increase the cost of installing natural gas and new construction, say officials at the Colorado Energy Office. Okay, so here we go. Excel Energy officials warned the new rules could have the potential to, for all intents and purposes, ban gas line extensions. The new rules... Uh, is an incremental step, according to the ruling, uh, to, in the larger evolution of the shifting regulatory framework for the gas industry. Natural gas utilities must now inform the commission about the costs of building natural gas infrastructure before spending money on projects. Natural gas lines cost what they cost. And the matter of fact, most of the cost is absorbed by d- builders and developers as they build new subdivisions. Today's decision, here we go, Uh, this is from the Colorado Energy Office, today's decision requiring comprehensive planning from regulated gas utilities will not only help reduce greenhouse gas emissions, it will also protect consumers by requiring rigorous examination of utilities. So every time they pass a rule, it's for our own good. That's what they always are implying this is for our own good as consumers. It will increase the price of natural gas and lead to a de facto banning of natural gas, says Excel Energy. So here we go. These folks never give up. And this is an early shot fired in getting rid of natural gas in homes, at least new homes, to go all electric, as if the electricity comes you know, from outer space somewhere. Electricity has to be manufactured and produced produced as a better word with guess what natural gas so this is um uh this is another it's really an early uh, shot in the in the war we have against fossil fuels and i don't know how we're going to end up heating our houses like we said earlier maybe bust up the furniture throw in the fireplace but uh, just watch out for this because this is of course for our own good as consumers and our own good at limiting uh, greenhouse gas emissions and it's it's uh we can there's no limit to the amount of uh the amount of, the number of rules that can be passed for your own good it'll cost more money and mean less freedom for you and the public utilities but we know what's best because natural gas uh contributes to greenhouse the greenhouse gas effect yawn and poke me with a stick uh, it might be a degree or two cooler in a hundred years from now, but we're just tying ourselves in knots and we're going to end up with all electric houses, which will be terribly expensive, uh, to, as talk about consumers to heat your house and cool your house and get hot water and cooking by electricity, which will be manufactured of course, or produced with natural gas and with coal. So we're just shifting the, the emissions to the power plants, which is absolutely just, it's crazy. It's just, these people are not, not in the real world in terms of economics and thermodynamics and physics. None of this makes any sense whatsoever because they never ask themselves, what are the costs? What are the, what are the peripheral costs and 
what are the unintended consequences of all these rules? But uh, the new homeowners, as is the case with so many rules that the uh, bureaucrats come up with, are overwhelmingly affected by this. And so we'll have housing will be more expensive and more expensive to to live in because all electric heat heat pumps are going to be terribly expensive, especially in our climate. But you watch that just incrementally, we're going to move further and further away from natural gas when it's it's the most clean burning fuel we have short of nuclear right now and um uh, it's but it's going to go away uh, you mark my words and there's just an early rule that we now have to the utilities commission has to know about how much it's going to cost to extend a gas line well it's going to cost what it's going to cost but that's not the point the point is they don't want gas lines extended because we know natural gas is evil and uh, so good luck heating your house in 15 or 20 years right my house is as we speak nice and warm and toasty and cozy because i have a natural gas clean burning furnace at home and you do too at least for now right 719-473-1240 is our telephone number uh, i got on my soapbox there a little bit but i just it just this is these rules are endless and the, the, the common denominator in all of these rules when it comes to, quote, global warming, are we have end up with less liberty and it costs us more money. In the meantime, we're having one of the coldest winters on record you know, throughout the Plains states and the Great Lakes states. So cl- uh, climate it's not global warming anymore. It's climate change. So anything that happens, hot, cold, wet, dry, is all about global warming and climate change. And we can't have the climate change. It has to be... Just what it is today, right? 719-473-1240. Let's see. What do we got here? Oh, I, I, we had a I had an email. What did I do with this about garage refrigerators? Uh, where did I? Oh here, oh, here it is right here. This is um, an email uh, from, uh, uh, from Bruce about uh, the garage fridge, how to keep the garage fridge uh, from behaving itself in the cold winter months. I went out this morning. In my garage, it was 40 degrees Fahrenheit out there, which is about as cold as it gets. I'm glad because I have a sink in in my garage. But if you don't make accommodations for your garage refrigerator uh, at a 40-degree temperature, it's not going to work, and it's going to make your frozen food uh, uh, heat up. Uh, Your ice cream will be soft. Your, Your food will actually start to thaw out because the compressor won't be running very much to keep the freezer at that zero degree Fahrenheit you want. And the way to overcome this is to put a light bulb in your in your fresh food section of your garage refrigerator. We've talked about this in the past, but it's a great idea. And I want you to, uh, if you're if you're not satisfied with the way your garage fridge is behaving, and again, the, the barometer of this is the frozen food side uh, that um, uh, you need to pay attention to, if the food starts softening up, it's because the compressor isn't running. And to make the compressor run more, you need to put a light bulb in the fresh food side of your refrigerator. You get a little bracket there, a little spring-loaded uh, bracket, uh, and, and a light and, and an actual uh, light fixture. You can take a I, I took a, a work light and unscrewed the actual uh, bulb socket from it and threw the reflector away and just clamp it to one of the uh, shelves in the refrigerator. I have a small, like a 20-watt bulb in there, and that'll be just enough heat to keep that compressor running. Otherwise, when it's really cold like this, your garage fridge 
will not be uh, cycling like you want it to. So I just thought I'd mention that to you. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with uh, some more email from this week right after this on Around the House. So stick around, 719-473-1240. We'll be right back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh? Above the Rest Garage Door Company is a, a outfit I want you to call. Ed, the owner, came over and tuned up my garage door about a month ago, and it, it didn't take too long because, thankfully, my door is operating okay, but he lubricated everything, tightened nuts and bolts, and made sure everything is operating as it was designed and safely. That's the main thing. Safety is a big deal. A garage door weighs hundreds of pounds, and you want to make sure it's, it's safe for your family and your kids and grandkids and your pets and so on. So give them a call at 719-499-0491 and sign up, as I did, for the premier membership program at Above the Rest Garage Door Company. That includes a twice-a-year tune-up to make sure your door operates uh, properly. And as it was designed, your garage door will thank you for it. And if you sign up for the program, they'll waive the 150 trip fee for an emergency visit. So do what I did. It's amazingly inexpensive. Call Above the Rest Garage Door Company. Get in that premier membership twice-a-year tune-up. 499-0491 for Above the Rest. Got a fix-it problem at your house? Ken Moon is here to help. Give him a call now at 719-473-1240. That's 719-473-1240. Yeah, Merry Christmas and uh, Happy Hanukkah to all of you in the audience. We're glad you're you're with us here on the program. It's six minutes before the hour. Sandy wants to know what's your opinion of installing a pet door in a sliding glass patio door. Uh, a pet door is like a little panel that goes uh, next to your uh, patio door, and you there's a secondary lock on the pet door uh, panel, right? You, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not crazy about them. Patio doors, uh, Sandy, are from a security standpoint, are, are hard enough in the first place to protect yourself uh, from you know rascals and criminals and burglars that want to get in adding a pet door makes it even more likely to uh, it, it just diminishes the protection you get from the patio door lock um it, if if money is no object a better choice is to have a custom tempered glass slider panel fabricated with a pet door built right in now it's quite quite expensive so you know you know that that, that would be the cadillac kind of, kind of thing but um the other thing is, do you want critters in your house? I don't know, squirrels, raccoons, uh, other dogs and cats can come right in the pet door. So I, I think it's a good idea to have the pet door in the garage. So you have like a intermediate step there to let your dog come and go. I mean, if there's a, if there's a, you can, a little bed there, uh, you know, one of those uh, doggy beds uh, that you could have right by the pet door if you're, uh, you know, upstairs taking a nap or something, and the dog wants to come back in on a cold day, they can they can hang out in that in that pet bed for a few minutes. But that way, you have control over who comes and goes in your house, uh, and uh, I, I think that's a better idea. I would leave the sliding glass door alone because, as I say, it's hard enough to get burglar protection without having that pet door added uh, beside it. Uh, so uh, I hope that's. I hope that's helpful. That's what I would do if I had a, a doggy door at home. Of course, there is some people have big dogs like uh, Great Danes and and German Shepherds and so on. And I have actually gotten into a house. I was supposed to get into a house because I was looking at, at a home inspection, doing a home inspection. I crawled in through the patio, through the pet door, as if I were a German Shepherd, 
and and got into a house. So there are doggy doors big enough to let people in. So you don't want that in your life, right? That's not a that's not what you want. Finally, Roxanne says someone said you had an article about how to clean whirlpool tubs. Could you repeat it? Um, yeah, you 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 know you want to use these whirlpool tubs at least once a week, two or three times a week is better because the hoses and the pumps and all the infrastructure you can't see gets full of uh, soap scum and body oils and germs and just yuck. Uh, the little chunks of black and brown particles that you don't want in, in your life. Uh, and that's just because the water sits there and kind of festers. So the more you use a whirlpool tub, uh, the better. So if you haven't used yours in a while, dump some Cascade uh, dishwashing powder or liquid in the tub run it w- warm water for about 15 minutes with the with the uh, the pump running to let that uh, cascade kind of circulate through the whole system drain it and then run a tub of warm water circulating again for another 10 or 15 minutes once you've done that you've scoured out the inside of the hoses and the pumps and everything the parts you can't see and then use that tub once a week minimum two or three times as i say is even better to keep the innards from accumulating and getting all full of that crud you don't like. So that's kind of the story on that. All right, that's all she wrote for the program. I hope you'll check out the podcast. Uh, Chris will have this up within a couple hours uh, after we go off the air. Uh, and uh, you can get them at aroundthehouse.com. They'll you take you to the KRDO site. We hope you have a wonderful uh, Merry Christmas season at your house. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas from all of us here at Around the House. Chris Moyer and Matt McKinley, thanks for your help. We'll see you next time. God bless. Have a wonderful week. And we'll see you around the corner right here on Around the House. Have a good one. Should we open up her gifts or send them back? Send them back. Grandma got right.